This is the Two-Tone Uncensored Podcast. Hosts Matt McCrone, Brian Moreland, and Glenn Lotzenheiser talk everything Tennessee Titans. This show is made for the fans of Bleed Two-Tone Blue. This is Bo Scaife. You're listening to Two-Tone Uncensored. Tighten up. This is Two-Tone Uncensored. I am your host, Ryan Moreland. We have a really good show for you today. We're going to cover the mailbag. We got some news for you, and we're going to get into the defensive line of the Tennessee Titans. With me, as always, Matt, the master of ground and pound, Necrone. What's up, Matt? Steady grounding, steady pounding. And Glenn, you shake it more than twice. You're playing with it, Lotzenheiser. Yeah, that's what my coach told me in high school when he was smuggling those grapes. <laughs> All right. Yeah, as I said, we have a big show for you. But real quick before we jump into it, want to remind everybody we still have the TTU scavenger hunt going on. Uh, you know, the winner of this ends up with season opener tickets to go see the Titans take on the Minnesota Vikings in Nashville. If you haven't seen it already, make sure you check out episode 6 of the show, or if you look at our Facebook page, you can see everything on the scavenger hunt, how many points everything is worth. You need to have all submissions in by July 19th, so you still have some time to get some stuff done here. We've, we already started getting submissions in, a lot of great stuff so far, so try to get as much of it done as you can and send it in. The top five submissions we'll move on to the next round which we haven't released yet what's in the next round check it out if you haven't already if you have make sure you get those submissions in by the 19th let's jump into the mailbag here guys very first question off here dylan ray asks i'm a realistic fan and i think we could pull out an eight and eight season but i'd be thrilled to see a six and ten season given our division i can't help but think a seven or eight win season would get us a ticket to the playoffs what do you think here, guys? I think his win totals are realistic, and you know he, he's not wrong that an eight and eight would be possible. I don't know that it will happen, but like he said, you know he'd, he'd be okay with a six and ten. The problem I have is I don't see seven and nine or even eight and eight winning this division. The uh, the other teams did get better along with us. We did have some nice running backs come into the division this year. Lamar Miller. We added Chris Ivory over at Jacksonville to go with T. Y. Yeldon. You're looking at some teams that can run the ball, too. And then Andrew Luck and the Colts, they're, they're set up to throw. Frank Gore is getting too old to really run it anymore. I can't see one of those other teams not coming up better than 8-8, eight and eight, unless this division just beats the crap out of each other all year, which could happen. I, just, I, I don't see us getting there. I don't see a losing record getting you into the playoffs out of this division this year because everybody did get a little bit better. You don't have to feel... You know, one team or the other to say that. I think that uh, Houston's probably got the best shot of uh, holding off the Colts just because Lamar Miller, if Brock Wasweiler turns out to be that player, they're hoping he is. They certainly paid him like they think he's going to be. Him and DeAndre Hopkins, and they added some real speed and Will Fuller and Braxton Miller this offseason. So the Texans are set up to run and throw. The Jaguars, we already know that you know, they've got Allen Robinson and T.Y. Yeldon, and they add Chris Ivory to that mix, so they're set up to run and throw. The uh, Titans are set up to run the ball. The Colts are set up to pass the ball. 
it's going to be a tough division. I don't think that we could get to seven and nine, you know, glimpse the playoffs though. Yeah, I think we probably end up anywhere in the realm of six and ten, or best case scenario, ten and six. I don't necessarily think seven and nine is going to win the division. I'm not as high on the Texans as Glenn is. I think that. The Colts are always probably going to have the upper hand as long as they have a healthy Andrew Luck. But with that being said, I don't think they necessarily have a complete team around him. I think this year is really up for grabs between all four teams, whether it be an 8-8 eight and eight record, a 9-7, and seven, whatever it may be. Moving forward, I honestly, I think between this year's draft especially, I really like what we did and I like what the Jags did. The Texans did all right as well. I really don't think the Colts did much for, on their end. And if if anyone declined, it's the Colts, in my opinion. But I, honestly, as of right now, as it stands, they probably have the slight upper hand. But I still think it's anybody's. It, it's really, is Andrew Luck going to be healthy? You know, if Andrew Luck's healthy, there's no chance that an 8-8 eight and eight season is going to get you into the playoffs in this division because that team's going to win, you know, 10-11 games. But... You know, if we see what we saw last year, he goes down, he's out for a lot of it, and even when he is playing, you know, obviously still battling the injuries, then it could possibly, but you're really hoping a lot to happen there. Plus, I do think the Texans have gotten better. I think Lamar Miller's really going to be a giant plus for that running game. I'm not sold on Brock Osweiler, you know, as we were saying, but last year they just had a revolving door at QB and were able to win games and be a, a semi-successful football team with that. So I think that, you know, even if Osweiler doesn't pan out to be what they think he's going to be, they still have a pretty good team outside of that. They have a good defense, obviously, and I think their rushing game is going to be the best it's been since Arian Foster was in his prime and healthy. So... You know, I, th- I think they're obviously on the way up. Jacksonville had an, an a stellar offseason. They're obviously on their way up. And I think Tennessee is too. I just think that right now we have a little bit less to work with than some of these teams. And it becomes a real question of, you know, what are we going to see out of Andrew Luck? But if he's healthy, you know, there's absolutely no way. Even if he's not healthy, I don't think 7-9 and nine does it. 8-8 eight and eight maybe. I still think you would have to get in that 9-7, and 10-6 range. Uh, as Matt said, he said six to ten wins. I think my window would be somewhere four to eight. I'm not as optimistic. I think we're going to be in that realm. I'd be happy with six wins this season. I'd be ecstatic with eight wins this season. But I don't think even with eight wins that it's going to be enough to make the playoffs. Next one here was submitted by Jay Russell. Question is, if you could pick one game this season to go to, which game would you choose? Well, me, I made my choice, and uh, I'm going to the Kansas City Chiefs game, so that would be my pick. It's not the exciting pick, I guess, but it's the pick that I'm going to that game, so that's my game. There, there's, you know, interdivision rivals. There's lots of other games to choose from. It really just going to depend on how this team turns out. I think going to that first game against the uh, Vikings would be pretty awesome, so if you win those tickets, you should be able to enjoy that. Just because the first game of the year is, you know, last several years has been a really good game for the Titans, so it'd be nice to go there when you have a feeling like, hey, maybe this is going to turn out for us. And that would be a nice matchup and get a quick measuring stick on where you're really at. But uh, I'm going to say the Chiefs because that's the game I'm going to be at. I'm going to go to Week 7 against the Colts. Um, it's a divisional game, obviously a big rivalry game for us. I happen to be going to that game as well. Um, 
my very first time going to Nashville. I expect to have an awesome time. And if I wasn't going to go with that game, I would probably say the Oakland Raiders only because we owe them something from last year. And um, I think we're going to play them extra tough this year. So I'd probably go, well, I'm going to the Colts game. So that's my answer, but I, I am looking forward to the Raiders as well. I'm actually traveling to Detroit on week two to go see that game, but I, I would agree with what Matt said here. I, I think it'd be outside of the division. Obviously, divisional games mean more, but I think it would be that home game week three with the Raiders, a team we should have beaten last year. You know, we lost by three at the very end of that game, so to get some revenge, and that would be sweet to see. And I also think that we match up pretty well. You know, two teams that were kind of in the NFL's basement that are really starting to make some big moves and step up in the NFL, become much better teams. So I think it's a good yardstick for us to see where we're at and and the rebuilding process and getting back to being a, a real contender. It's It really was rough to watch that, you know, lose by three in a game that we really should have won last year. So to see us, you know, come back and hopefully beat the Raiders, that would be an awesome game to go to. All right, next one. In the mailbag, Morocco Taylor sends this one in. He asks, who is the best first-round draft pick and worst first-round draft pick since the Titans moved to Tennessee? I'm going to make the hopeful pick here, and I'm going to say Marcus Mariota. And just, you know, projecting forward, he's going to be our best pick lately because we've had some other first-round quarterbacks that just did not work out for us. For the worst guy... Jake Locker or uh, Vince Young would be my competition there. I'm going to say Jake Locker because he won fewer games and he didn't make it out of that rookie contract. How ironic is it that your best selection was a Rustin Webster pick? It, it pains me to the core. I'm willing to look past it, though, man. I'm I'm with you. But my, my best pick will probably be Chris Johnson only because uh, he slipped to the 24th pick and we happened to snatch him up. I remember what Bo Scaife was saying that nobody really knew much about him other than his speed. And uh, the thing about him was they were watching game film on a cornerback who was covering him, had an angle on him, but still couldn't catch him. And obviously we all know what he did, putting up over 2,000 yards at one season. And, and he's been he's still putting up numbers today. So, I mean, he's, he's, he's our best value in the first round, I would say. As far as the worst pick goes, you got to go with Jake Locker. I was never really a locker hater when we had him. I've seen the glimpses of of pretty good play. Could never stay healthy, obviously. That was huge. And more importantly, man, his heart just wasn't in it. If you can't make it past your rookie contract and not even be in the league, I mean, he he would be a backup somewhere if he wanted to be. He didn't even want to do that. So, I mean, that that was the biggest waste to me. He was a top 10 selection. That's that's easily got to be the worst. For my best here, I went with the freak, Javon Curse. Uh, we picked him up in the first round, 16th overall pick out of Florida. And then he goes on to have one of the best rookie seasons we've ever seen any defensive player have. 14 and a half sacks, eight forced fumbles, even added a touchdown. He was named Defensive Rookie of the Year, AFC Defensive Player of the Year uh, for that season. He went on to have a really great career never really replicated that first season but he had a, a pretty awesome career with the Tennessee Titans he's the Titans all-time sack leader with 52 and played a couple years in Philadelphia and obviously came back to Tennessee to finish out his career you know getting a guy in the middle of the first round like that and he just had a really solid career for us so Javon Curse would be my best pick 
our worst. I'm going away from the quarterbacks here, and I'm going with Adam Pacman Jones, the sixth pick of the 2005 draft. And when I was doing some research for the show, you know, obviously you remember Pacman, all the stuff that happened uh, with him, but I forgot how much it was. So I like wrote all these things down. So he's under probation when we draft him because he got to a fight while he was still at West Virginia. Then on July 14, 2005, he's arrested for assault and a felony vandalism stemming from a incident at a nightclub in Nashville. He forgets, forgets in quotations there, to tell his probation officer that he was arrested. So they extend his probation for another 90 days. Then you fast forward about a year. On August 25th, 2006, during training camp, he's arrested in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, for disorderly conduct and public intoxication at a nightclub after he spat on a woman he accused of stealing his wallet. Two months later, roughly, October 26, 2006, Jones was cited for a misdemeanor assault for allegedly spitting in the face of a female student at the Tennessee State University while at a private party. Then his car was also impounded because it was linked to a cocaine sting that they did, but at the time the car was not in his name, so he never got any any trouble for that. But he was also on TV saying in an interview that it was his car. And then, of course, the one everyone knows about, February 19th, 2007, the nightclub, in which he starts making it rain, and then the girls go to collect the money, and he starts bouncing strippers' heads off of the dance floor. So, <laughs> just a minefield of idiocracy that he said. And on the field, he's really productive. He had a decent rookie year. His sophomore year in the NFL, he had forced five turnovers, four interceptions, one forced fumble, had four total touchdowns, three of them off of punt returns, which was the best in the league. His punt return average was the best in the league. His kick return average was seventh best in the league. You know, he had a a really solid season and showed flashes of, of brilliance for the future, but the fact that he only played two seasons for the Tennessee Titans and he was the sixth overall pick, especially anybody who listens to the show, knows that I'm a West Virginia fan so you know it was like a dream come true seeing him come from my favorite college team to my favorite pro team and then he's there for two seasons because he just can't keep his head on his shoulders so that one for me would be the worst moving on to the next question here he's a classy dude <laughs> yeah obviously Brandon Williams sends us this one I want to know how you guys feel about bringing in an extra corner during or after training camp I think that almost definitely happens. We've discussed before that we're first on the waiver wire. So odds are that someone cuts a quarterback who can come over here and contribute, if not fight for the nickel spot. You're probably not going to get a one or two starter, but there's no reason to think that you you couldn't get somebody in here who could possibly push out McLean to take the nickel spot. It's almost certain to happen. That group needs a lot of upgrading. We spent a lot of time working on wide receivers this year, bringing guys in. We still don't think they made a huge difference, but the biggest area of need that I think all of us are going to see is going to be those cornerbacks. Yeah, not much to add to that. There's a lot of young guys on the roster right now. The only thing that helps them out is that they're already familiar with Dick LeBeau and his defense. Other than that, I could definitely see what what Glenn just said, that we, we get somebody that gets cut early, a veteran presence, and I could easily see 
possibly honestly I know I know the projection is to have McCordy the one, Cox the two, but I would really prefer to see Cox as the nickel and get a different, a stronger number two, or maybe even a, obviously a number one would be awesome, but I don't see a number one guy going to get cut in waivers. But I'd like to see somebody fight for the two spot and maybe move Cox to the nickel where he is the best or where he plays the best. But that's that's it. Yeah, I agree with, with both of you here. I obviously want to see us make a move, try to bring someone in in the secondary, especially at the cornerback position. It's one of our weakest positions on this team. So you want to bring some guys in there that can make a difference. I think we all go to bed at night and just have nightmares of watching, you know, Bleedy Ray just get burnt and uh, Cody Sensabaugh just getting burnt. It was awful watching that. And at this point, Jason McCourty's health is starting to become worrisome. He's building a pattern here. And when you have your number one cornerback that has those kind of injuries, that kind of issues, you obviously want to have good depth, which we did not have last year. So even if it is a guy that's going to set the fourth spot there behind Bryce McCain, I would be very okay with that. Obviously, as Matt said, it would be awesome if we could sign Marcus Peters, but he's not going to get waived. So the best talent that we can bring in, even if it's just a little bit more depth or, or maybe a nickelback or whatever we can get, I'm in huge favor of this. I was kind of surprised that we didn't address this earlier than we have or, or put more attention on our secondary than we did this off season. So I would be ecstatic to see us go and try to make a bigger difference. Last question in the mailbag here. Mallory Walsh says, with all of the guests you've had on lately, who would you pick as a guest if you could pick anyone? I'm going to stay with the team instead of all time or anything like that. I'm going to go ahead and say my guy would be Delaney Walker because I think he'd be the best interview of anybody that's on the squad. He's going to tell you exactly how he feels about things. He's going to tell you to shut up if you ask a stupid question. I think he'd be the most fun interview of the current players that are on the squad. So if I was going to interview somebody about the state of the union and how the, how the team's doing right now, that, that's the guy I would pick. Yeah, growing up, obviously Steve McNair was my favorite player. Obviously he's not around right now to get him on the show. But if it wasn't him, I would definitely pick Eddie George. Those two are definitely my favorite all-time Titans. If there's any way we could get Eddie George on here, I'd do whatever we could to, to make that happen. With that being said, we're going to try to bring on as many guys as we can. And I know we're in the talks with a couple of them right now. I don't want to name drop anybody, but stay tuned and, and you'll definitely get some more guests here in the future. Yeah, Glenn went new. Matt went slightly old. I'm going a little older. For me, it would have to be Earl Campbell. I think that would be like an amazing interview to be able to talk to a guy that's a, an absolute legend in the league, a guy that was just so unbelievably dominant before the injuries and stuff slowed him down, but... I mean, he was just one of the most dominant running backs that we've ever seen play the game for that three-year stint that he was just flawless. So it'd be awesome to have him on. Bruce Matthews would also be pretty high on my list to get him on. You know, a guy that went to 14 consecutive Pro Bowls, a pretty outstanding feat. So it'd be awesome to get him on the air. But anybody that, that you guys said, obviously, if there was a way to do it, I think Steve McNair would be the first on the list for all of us. But any of those would be awesome. But I would have to pick Earl Campbell or Bruce Matthews would be my two. That's about all we have for the mailbag. Thanks for everybody who sent them in this week. Be sure we'll put the posts out on 
Tennessee Titans Uncensored and on our Facebook page, Two-Tone Uncensored. If you want to send them to us on Twitter, feel free, at Two-Tone Uncensored. And for next week's show, if you want to hear your question be read. But now we're going to head into the news segment with Anchorman, Glenn Lotzenheiser. Take it away, Glenn. All right. We're, we all know that we're in the slowest news period of the year. There's absolutely no football going on this month. There's, there's no big changes going on. So as we are in the uh, dead period, what I call this season of stupid, I thought maybe we should cover the uh, suspensions. The uh, most outstanding group, I think we're going to have to give that award to the uh, Dallas Cowboys. Three of their front seven are going to be suspended. Randy Gregory got himself knocked out. Lando McClain got himself knocked out. And then also uh, DeMarcus Lawrence is going to miss some games. Rolando of the group is going to miss 10. The other two guys are going to miss four. But that, that front seven, they're going to miss three starters off of that group. That's going to really hurt that squad. And it doesn't hurt my feelings any. Screw the Cowboys. Uh, other players that got themselves suspended, the uh, Baltimore Ravens, a couple of tight ends managed to get themselves knocked out. Uh, one for 10 in Nick Boyle. Darren Waller got suspended for four. I don't, I don't know how your tight ends are getting suspended like that, but it's an awesome thing for the Ravens. Johnny Menzel is suspended for four games. He's not on a team. No one cares, so we're not going to worry about it. Uh, Sheldon Richardson, the defensive end from the Jets, is going to miss the first game of the season for a personal conduct uh, violation. And it's just the season is stupid. This is when all the uh, the violations and the penalties come out as far as guys getting suspended for doing this or that and getting caught. Every year around this time, the season is stupid takes hold and people do stupid things and get arrested, get busted for drugs. Well, thankfully, we only have one contestant on the season of stupid. He's not suspended. He's just on probation. Well, he qualifies as stupid. Not only do we only have one contestant in the season of stupid, but thankfully it's not a giant role player. I know Glenn's already said it, but three of your defense front seven are going to be suspended. I mean, Christ, man. (laughs) Glad to see that Tennessee's not mentioned a lot on this list. That's just all I have to say about that. Our only one being Andrew Trezelli, who we talked about when we did the wide receivers. It almost certainly knocks him off the roster. I, I don't see any way he makes the 53-man you know, spot. So I'm just not going to worry about him. I won't go and bring him up. Just let him fade off in the mediocrity. Damn. A little harsh, bro. <laughs> the world is harsh, brother. I hear you. All right. Moving on from that, uh, Andrew Luck signed his big contract extension. A lot of people are bringing it up because he's got so much guaranteed money. So many millions of dollars, highest paid quarterback in the league now. We, we've talked about him a little bit in the past, just amongst us. And his value to the team is unquestioned. Whether the team can do anything after giving him all that money is a bigger question. We already talked today that, that the team isn't very good. They don't have the players they need. And they just gave a fortune to uh, Andrew Luck. So how are they going to manage to fight through that and win some games and you know continue to build the team? He's eventually going to have to restructure his deal because the pieces they have right now are not set up for success in a long playoff run. I think that the reason he was so beat up last season is because they have no offensive line. They need to protect their investment. Luck pretty much has him by the balls right now as far as they have really no option but to give him all this money. He probably will earn it. I know he's he's capable of earning it, and... The timing was horrible with the injury last season. 
But I mean, that's, that's how it played out. And it's probably a good deal for us. I know the Colts get lucky when, when they lose Peyton Manning for a year and they suck it up for luck. And, you know, one year bad, next year they're back in it. But he hasn't quite proven himself to be an elite quarterback. I know he's shown signs of it, but he's not quite there. And he might not come back from these injuries. You never know. Personally, I think he will probably be all right. And I think that as long as they keep this deal without restructuring it, they're not going to have the success that they need because they simply don't have the pieces around them. Matt brings up some great points here. You know, first, it's obviously, you know, it's awesome when you're rebuilding only lasts one year as it did for the Colts. But Andrew Luck, you have to pay him. You have to pay him this. You're not going to let this guy walk. He's a phenomenal football player. You know, he's towards the top of, you know, QBs in this league. He had a bad year last year, a lot of injuries and stuff like that, but he's still a phenomenal football player, and you have to give him this contract. But it does help us out because they aren't going to have the money to pay these other guys to bring in better players. Their offensive line still not very impressive. That secondary you know, has more holes than Swiss cheese. There's a lot on this team that's lacking that they really need to build up. There's really not a lot of great players on this team outside of Andrew Luck. But Matt brings up a great point here. Andrew Luck can set back a couple seasons, make his money, and then you add on top of that whatever he makes in sponsorships. This is a guy who is one of the best QBs in the league, and he has a squeaky clean record. He's going to make just as much money as Peyton Manning did with endorsements uh, as his career progresses, I'm sure. I think that you're going to see him make that money for a couple years and then probably restructure when they have a team that can make a serious Super Bowl run. Really, a lot of people have talked about how it's a bad move. I think it's a fantastic move for the Colts. You're signing him after a bad year now where you pay him $25 million a year instead of two years from now when you're going to have to pay him $28, $30 million a year in order to play. So I think it's a great to get that long-term deal done now coming off of a bad season. It's still the best contract in the league. I understand that. But how long is it going to be the highest paid contract in the league? What, one, two years until someone gets more? They never last very long. Yeah, I think it's a good move by the Colts, actually, to get this done now. I think he will restructure when they have a team that can make a serious Super Bowl run. And going from that, you know, the the large contract and people restructuring, renegotiating, uh, I wanted to briefly talk about something that's kind of popping up in the NFL uh, players' Twitter feeds and that kind of thing. The NBA salary cap took a huge jump this year with their new media contract. It's going to jump up again next year. Lots of players are getting signed for just outstanding money. You know, you have role players making $20 million a year all of a sudden. We were just talking about Andrew Luck. He's going to average $23 million a year on this contract, and we're thinking that's huge and it's going to cripple his team. Whereas NBA teams right now are signing role players who are going to spend a lot of time on the bench or not contribute all that much. They're, they're getting $15, $20 million, and the NFL players are talking about that, talking about who is this guy. I had to go look him up on Google to figure out who this guy is, and he just made more money in a year than I'm going to make in the next three. It's not about the size of the NBA contract so much as the NFL players looking at all that money out there, seeing all the money the NFL makes, and wondering, you know, is there a way we could have gotten more? In the last CBA negotiations, a lot of people felt that the uh, the representatives for the NFL Players Association kind of let them down and didn't push enough for the right things. They got some good things done. They had a rookie salary cap to put more money aside for the veterans so the veterans don't get pushed out when a rookie comes in, has done nothing, 
and signs a hundred million dollar contract, so they have to fire three, you know, long term veterans. That was a smart thing that they did. But the, now the players are starting to talk about, hey, maybe we should have done something a little bit better for ourselves, and they're getting jealous, which is understandable. Baseball players and basketball players make a lot more money than NFL players do. And the NFL players are putting a lot more on the line every time they strap on those pads and go out there and take those hits. My question to you guys is, do you think the NFL players are going to let this eat away at them and they're going to end up rising up and trying to do a strike in the next year or two? Or are they just going to complain about it on Twitter, realize the reality of their situation with their roster sizes and just move on? Hopefully they keep it on Twitter. I don't know much about the other league salary caps. I know Ryan's more in-depth with that, and he'll break it down for you here in a minute. But the last thing we want is a strike. When they had those negotiations going on, that was a, a dark time, and I don't like thinking about it. And even when the referees went on strike, that that was the quality of play suffered because of something as little as the referees went on strike. They were getting horrible calls every week, and, I mean, you, you could see it. But hopefully, you know, I don't necessarily agree that baseball, basketball players make that much more than these guys that put their bodies on the line every game, every practice. Guys get hurt every day. I don't have the answer as far as what we can do to solve it. Hopefully they can resolve it without a strike. And moving forward, I hope they get this resolved quickly. Yeah, when you look at this, the NBA roughly has $3 billion that is allotted for players' salaries. The NFL is looking right now to surpass $13 billion in total revenue, so that'll be about $6 billion to work with for player contracts next season. But there's 450 NBA players currently. There's 1,696 NFL players. So even though the NFL is more profitable, you know, twice as profitable as the NBA, there's almost four times as many players to pay in the NFL which is why you see this. Right now, I believe the average contract in the NFL is just over $3 million. The average contract in the NBA is just over 4 So you're seeing these guys get these big payouts because of that. Another reason we're seeing these NBA players make more is because of the caps put on players' salary. In the NBA, you can only make so much based upon how long you've played in the league. You know, Even though LeBron James is probably worth what 60 million a year there he's only making 30 million dollars a year because that's the cap for how long that he's played in the league the nfl might be able to do something like that where they put on more caps on the players that like the nba does but that means that those guys that play those shorter years those guys that play that three four you know five years are not going to make more as much money as they would right now so you know it's hard to say but given this that the nba makes more because of this, the real question becomes how many NFL players realize this, realize that it's just the difference in numbers, it's a business thing, it breaks down math-wise, and for the players that don't understand that, how many of their agents can explain it to them or talk them down from this? Because there's just, the money's not there to pay everybody, you know, as, as expansive as the NFL is. And that becomes a real question, because I can see why they have this gripe. They're out there putting their lives on the line, as you guys said, putting their bodies out there. And they're watching these guys that don't play nearly as physical as a sport make more money than them, even though they're not nearly the quality of player. You can say, you know, if the money breaks down this way, you can look at it. This is the way it breaks down. This is why you don't make as much. 
but they still have a gripe. Why is that fair? You know, I'm putting my life on the line. I could get CTE, all this stuff. You know, we've seen what happened to former players before you look at what happened to Junior Seau. You know, that could end up being my life because I risk my life playing this game while this guy that plays, you know, seventh man for the Grizzlies is going to make more than Andrew Luck does. So that, they definitely have a gripe there, and I think that this could end up being pressing towards a lockout, if not a lockout, even though I would hate to say – I hate even saying the word. I agree. All the young players are going to go start playing soccer now. That's exactly what Ryan just said. He said they're going to start playing soccer because they can make more money overseas without the chance of getting hurt. <laughs> I could. I do think you're going to see less and God, less I people play football. I don't think it's going to be soccer, but, I mean, you look at how many parents are not letting their kids play football right now, and then play, guys are going to look at this and say, well, I could be an average NBA player and make more than a really, really fantastic NFL player. Why not go play in the NBA? So I, I think you could see less people want to play football. Yeah, you, you'll, you'll probably see more of the taller players gravitate that way. I think the uh, shorter players that are going towards uh, baseball, probably not hockey. Like you said, probably not soccer. Soccer is a growing sport in the country, but it's nowhere near this conversation right now. So, yeah, you, you're, you're going to lose some players. Yeah, it's interesting. I think the NFL needs to restructure the way the contracts are done and make it more player-friendly, but I'm not exactly sure how you'd go about it. You know, I'm not – a numbers guy. I don't. I'm not that sophisticated that I could come up with the answer. So I, I think it does need to change. You need to get these guys getting paid a little bit more. But I'm not sure how you do that. Maybe cut a little bit more into the revenue. You know, let the owners give up a little bit more. The way they have it cut up right now is insane. Like the NBA, it's 50 percent. Whatever they make, 50 percent goes to player contracts. In the NFL, it's like. Well, 25% of this fee and and 15% of this, and then if this gets over this number, then you get a cut of it. And if this is too low, then you get a cut of it. Like, it's so complicated that it's so hard to even figure out how much money they're going to make. And we we know we're not number guys. We're doing a free podcast, so. (laughs) Yeah, obviously. But we're going to take a a quick commercial break here. When we come back, we're going to break down the defensive line. Time to pay the bills. Some quick ads and we'll get right back to the show. Hey, this is Ryan and Rich from the Free Parking Show. Our show is a sports podcast hosted by four sports journalists and features shows like Beers and Cheers, Par for Discourse, and our NFL preview, the 32-team parking garage. Check us out on Stitcher, Spreaker, and our website, www.freeparking.com. You're listening to Two Tone Uncensored, brought to you by Pinecast and Stitcher. All right, thanks for listening, everybody. We're back. We're going to talk the defensive line here. And let's start off with the obvious, Jarrell Casey. You know, one of the best players on this team offensively or defensively, and he's just really, really great player for the Tennessee Titans, obviously a starter. So what are your thoughts on Jarrell Casey? Jarrell Casey's my kind of uh, defensive lineman. Uh, one of the things that we talked about with Hartwig last week was he was a tall center. And what you see in the NFL right now is, you know, your tackles are six foot eight. 
your guards are six four, six five, sometimes six six, and your centers are now. You know, Hartwig said he was a big center at six four. He's about average for a center now, and so defensive linemen have started getting taller and bigger along with him. And then you've got Jarrell Casey at six foot one, three hundred five pounds. He, he's my kind of guy. He's he's built kind of like me. You know, a little bit lower to the ground. You got that good center of gravity. Uh, he's he's got a nonstop motor. When he comes off the line at somebody, you know that big tall guy puts his arms out there, and Jarrell Casey's already underneath him, so he's already got that center of gravity. He gets great push up field because of it. He's strong enough; he can push people off and shed them. Every play, he's in the mix. He's making things happen. He has just a nonstop motor. He's the shortest defensive lineman on our team. Uh, he also uh, averages five to seven inches shorter than the tackles he's going up against as a defensive end. He's a guy who transcends his position on the defensive line. When he was our defensive tackle, he was awesome as a defensive end. He's awesome. I think if he were on a 4-3 team, he'd be in the Pro Bowl every year. We wouldn't be talking about him getting snubbed. But it's, it's hard for a 3-4 lineman to really get a lot of recognition for the Pro Bowl. Yeah, I think uh, with better pieces around him, he's really going to shine. We just signed him to a four-year extension back in 2014, so we got him locked up here for the next couple of years. He's had 28 sacks since coming into the league, four forced fumbles, and over 283 tackles. So, I mean, he's very productive. I think with some of the guys we have coming in, it's only going to make him that much better. He's just coming off his Pro Bowl season last year, which was well-deserved. He's He's been undervalued for a long time, and I'm, I'm glad we signed him when we did because he's definitely worth the amount of money we gave him, probably a little bit more. So we lucked out as far as that goes, but I definitely want to see us build around him because he's a great piece to start off with. He's very versatile. Like Glenn said, you could put him at end. You could put him at D tackle. We will probably be moving him around quite a bit this season with LeBeau. I'm sure LeBeau loves him. I'm excited to see what happens this year with, with him and, and the other pieces we put around him. Jarrell Casey, as Glenn said, not a big guy not or not tall guy. Uh, busting 300, just right over the 300 mark. Very athletic for that size. It's really crazy how well he moves laterally, and he's able to out-athletic a lot of guys, and he's still strong enough to, to move some guys around. He's just a very impressive player. He's kind of like that total package. The only other guy that I can think of that I would put in Jarrell Casey's class would be Aaron Donald. I mean, he just a uh, complete package of athleticism, uh, the power. It's just all there. And you guys spoke of one of the little bit, the versatility. You know, you, you can play anywhere across that line, and you're comfortable with it. You'd be A-OK with it. You're not going to have headaches. He's just a phenomenal player. And, and really, as you guys said, has been undervalued. He made his Pro Bowl debut this year after having seven sacks, but that 2013 season, I believe it was ten and a half sacks, and he was voted second team All-Pro and still didn't make the Pro Bowl, which is just just shows you how terrible the Pro Bowl is nowadays. But that's the topic for another day. But obviously, you know, absolutely great player for us and a starter. So next one, we're going to start talking about battles here, guys, along this uh, defensive line. And looking at nose tackle here, we have Al Woods, the incumbent. We have Austin Johnson as the guy that we just drafted this year out of Penn State. Who do you think ends up winning this matchup, and what's going to be key for you in it? For me, the key in this is going to be who pairs best with Jarrell Casey. You know, when Casey came into the league, they said all he could do is bull rush, and he proved that to be dead wrong. And now we're talking about a couple of guys here who I think are really different players. 
Woods came in, and we kind of wanted him to be the get in the middle, hold the blockers, the the, the traditional nose tackle, more along the uh, Baltimore Ravens style nose tackle. You know, Kelly Gregg, who I mentioned every now and then, was that guy. Short, wide, he eats blocks. He has a lot of leverage and power, so he pushes up in there, and just he, he occupies the center of the offensive line, so that the linebackers can do their thing. And that's kind of who Al Woods is for me. He, he's not gonna burst upfield. He doesn't make lots of big plays, but he eats up blocks. He make, makes you pay attention to him because he is so big and strong. Austin Johnson's a different player. Austin is a guy who's got a high, high motor, just like Casey, so I think that's a good pairing there. He also has better pad level than most of the rest of these guys. Uh, one of the things that this defensive line has is the average height is about six foot four. And unlike Casey, they all have problems with keeping their pad level down. It's part of that evolution to larger alignment is it's harder for them to get low to get underneath their opponents. That's what makes Casey so good is he's already underneath you when he starts out. Austin Johnson's got a lot of uh, power. He's better at keeping his pads down than most of these guys. For a guy picked uh, 12th in the second round, I was really excited to have him come in said earlier when we were talking, going over the draft, he was my favorite second-round pick, and that includes Henry. But Henry, when he was picked, overshadowed this guy. Whenever he was in college, he had 78 tackles, 15 for a loss, uh, six sacks. That was last season at Penn State. His pad level, like I said, it's better than the other guys. His main weakness right now would be his hand fighting. What I mean by that is when they come off the line and they make, go out to make that push, the guy who can control the other guy's hands has the best chance of getting his hands on the other guy's body and controlling the leverage. Austin Johnson struggles at that a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the main focus he's uh, getting uh, with, with the coaches. I, I think that in the end, he's going to end up winning the position. He's my favorite guy outside of Darrell Casey on this defensive line. And if he doesn't start day one, I think he ends up taking the position away from Al Woods. I think uh, you're going to see a lot of both of them, to be honest. I think uh, Al Woods is your traditional run stopper. You can plug the middle up. And uh, Johnson's actually bigger than Woods, believe it or not. It has room to grow, which is pretty exciting. Uh, he's he's already familiar with Daquan Jones. They played together at Penn State. I believe they were roommates. I'm not sure. I know they're they're good friends. I think Austin Johnson will probably take the starting role, maybe not week one, but probably by midseason. With that said, I, I still think you see a lot of both of these guys, depending on who we're playing against, defensive scheme. I like Al Woods, but I think Austin Johnson's got so much more upside, and I'm, I'm excited to see him play this season. I think Al Woods is going to start week one, but I do agree with you. I think we're going to see a lot of Austin Johnson. In my opinion, Week one, Al Woods will start, but Austin Johnson will be the fourth defensive lineman snaps-wise. He has the talent. It's there. We've seen it. I think Matt put it really well there at the end. He's got a lot of upside. And the thing that I want to see Johnston get better with his hands, as Glenn said, he needs to build a little bit more of a repertoire. And we see this with a lot of times with defensive linemen coming in the NFL. They're good bull rushers, or they have a really good swim move. or You know, they're good at one thing. But they, when you get in the NFL, you definitely need more than one move. I think we need to see Austin Johnson do that, which I think he's 100% capable of. I think you see him as that, that fourth guy in the rotation. John Robinson's already said that he thinks that he can play at nose tackle and 
come in and sub packages as a pass rusher because of his athleticism. So I think we're going to be able to see him a lot. I think you're going to see him in different positions too. But by the end of the season, I think you're going to see Austin Johnson start taking more snaps than Al Woods. As soon as he gets really comfortable with his hands, starts being able to do more as a defensive lineman, I think you're going to see him take over. I I do like this guy. The more I watched, I watched some tape on him today, and it's just the athleticism, the power, the the technique. I mean, he always – you never see him lock his knees. You never see him get high. You know, he really does have a really great technique for a kid coming out of college. And I'm really excited. You know, when we first made this pick, I really didn't know that much about him. I had a lot of guys rated higher than him. But now the more I watch tape, the more I think I was wrong and the Tennessee Titans were right, that he should have been picked where he was taken above the guys that were still on the board. Like Jaron Reed, Nashawn Robinson come to mind. Because of what he's able to do, very athletic, play inside and outside a little bit. You know, the versatility is obviously there. So, you know, I like Austin Johnson. I think Al Woods will start day one. Woods will be your starter, but I think Johnson will take the starting spot. There is one other concern with Austin Johnson that I think they're going to work on him with, and it's a bit of his aggressiveness. We've talked about his motor and his athleticism. He's a really aggressive player, but sometimes – he gets a little too caught up in holding his spot in the line, and that may be what they were asking of him in college. Uh, just the idea that I'm going to set the spot, I'm going to eat these blocks, no one's getting through here. I think what they're going to want him to do as a pro is get up the field more, which he has the ability, he has the agility, he has the strength. He, he can make that happen for you. So I, I think that that's something else we should look for as he grows as a player. It's just the, the total aggressiveness he wins the spot, he controls the center, and he pushes the center back. Great points there, Glenn. You're moving on to the outside here, defensive end. We have Daquan Jones as the incumbent and Angelo Blackson as his backup. There's been a lot of talk about Angelo Blackson being able to move up. Do you think that happens, or do you think Jones has this locked down? I don't think either one of these guys is going to be able to lock down the spot. I, I expect a lot of defensive line rotation this year. I, th- I think, as you said, Johnson will be that first guy off the bench. I think uh, Blackson, unless he really shows up hard, he's going to have a hard time unseating Daquan Jones because Daquan Jones does a good job of getting through the pass blocking and getting into the backfield. He's not a really disruptive player. He, he's a nice rotational player. I think he's got a better first step than Blackson, so I think that's what keeps him it is the starter for that position, but I, they rotate a lot. If you're asking me, they're back-to-back fourth-round picks. We picked up Daquan in the fourth round in 2014. Angelo Blackson in 2015 was our fourth-round pick. They're really similar kind of guys. They both have problems with uh, standing up too tall off the line. Blackson might be a little bit better eating space and occupying the offensive line. So if that's what the team wants more than someone who can penetrate and get upfield, maybe that's how Angelo gets that first spot. But more likely, I think Jones keeps that spot just because he has that better first step. He has a better chance of beating the block. Yeah, Glenn touched on a lot of the points I was going to make. I think uh, Daquan Jones will probably end up starting out for all the reasons he just said, but not only that is the experience factor. I think we're going to see a lot of rotation. Defensive line is probably the most depth we have out of any position on the team, in my opinion. I like a lot of of what we can do with, with all the versatile guys that we have. We can move in and out. 
my favorite Angelo Blackson moment goes back to last year's preseason uh, against the Minnesota Vikings with, with eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter. We had a comfortable lead on them, and they were attempting an extra point. Well, the snap goes over Brett Kern's head, and uh, Ryan Suckup, the kicker, scoops it up and throws about a 30-yard bomb to Angelo Blackson running down the field, and he makes an incredible over-the-shoulder catch for the, t- for the two points. Um, unfortunately, it got called back. But, I mean, that, that didn't matter at my point. Everybody was so excited that he actually made that play, and, and that's all I needed to see. He is very athletic. I think he's definitely going to make huge strides this season. The only thing Jones has on him, in my opinion, other than a, that really stand out is the experience factor. But I think you're going to see a lot of both of these guys, and I think we're going to have a strong, strong defensive line this year. Yeah, I don't have a lot to add on what you guys said because I'm going to agree with a lot of it. I think Jones is going to be the starter. I think Blackson's going to get a lot of time, though. I, I think you're going to see these guys rotate in and out. You're going to see a lot of Austin Johnson. As I said, you're going to see a lot of Blackson as well. The one thing I will say, though, is I do not think Blackson's in the same position that Austin Johnson is in that I don't think he's going to take over the starting spot anytime this year. I think you're going to see Daquan Jones be the starter the entire season. But I still think you're going to see a good bit of him on the field this year. We've talked about who we think is going to start, how we think they're going to line up here. Where does Carl Klug fit into all of this? Klug's kind of an unfortunate guy. He came into this team whenever we were serving in the 4-3, and he's a good defensive end for a 4-3 team. Unfortunately, we switched to the 3-4, and now he's kind of a man out of space. He's not big enough or strong enough to play full-time in a 3-4 line. He's not fast enough to drop back and be a linebacker like Derek Morgan did. But when he's on the field, he makes things happen. He's a really disruptive guy. You put him in there, and he just he finds a way to get involved. He always seems to be around the ball. He makes tackles. He gets back there. He just pulls offense's attention towards him. He, he just he's, he's a really active guy. He makes a lot of things happen. And honestly, as much as I like him, I really hope he gets a chance to go play for another team where he can take advantage of his ability. He, he's, he's one of my favorite guys on the team because he seems to have just an unbelievable motor, a ton of heart. He's always where he needs to be. He just He's on the wrong team at the wrong time. You, again, took a lot of what I was going to say. He uh, He's definitely a fan favorite. I think he's actually – I heard him in an interview a while back, actually, but right about when Dick LeBeau first came on the team, and he loves learning everything he can from LeBeau. Klug's an undersized guy, but you know, for, for everything that's stacked against him on this team, he still makes plays when he's on the field. So, I mean – we're going to be in heavy rotation all the time, and, and when we get him on the field, I will not be surprised if he can still make plays and produce for us. So I'm, I'm rooting for him. I like him a lot. I hope he does well. Klug's a guy you feel like you almost need to invent a position for in a 3-4 system. Glenn kind of touched this, but he's just he's a really productive player. You know, we've seen it. You can look at a stat line. He, he's there every single time, as Glenn said. But it always kind of feels like you're trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. He's just—he's not quite an outside linebacker, not quite a defensive end. But, yeah, I hope he gets on the team because he is. He's productive. He has a nose for the ball. Glenn, you know, touched on this. But he just always seems to be in the right place at the right time. Even when he initially loses the battle, he still seems to bounce back and get himself in position. I do like him. It's just, as, as Glenn and Matt said, it just kind of – doesn't really fit anywhere with us and 
And with the talent, young talent especially that we have right now, it just doesn't feel like he's going to get the time that he probably should see. Moving on from that, guys, is there anybody else that we haven't mentioned here that really catches your eye that you think has uh, a really solid chance of playing some significant time for the Titans this season? Honestly, no. I don't want to insult anybody by talking about some of their abilities or that kind of thing. Uh, some of the notes I have with these guys, you know, I won't say who it is, but it seems like a short-armed, fat Jarrell Casey without power. I, I don't want to say that guy's name. Um, say his name, man. <laughs> no. Yeah, we, we, we do have a monster out there, a Ropati Pitoatua. I guess how you say his name, whatever it is. That works. Sure, we'll go with that. You know, he, he's, he's six foot eight. He's one of the tallest players on the, the defense for sure. Actually, I think he, he is the tallest player on the defense. He, he, he's a huge guy. He's also a man out of position now. He's not an explosive player. He's at the end of his career. There's no way he pushes one of these young guys off the field. Honestly, I'm looking at this group, and if we keep Klug, I don't see any of the other guys, the un- unrestricted free agents. you got Antoine Woods. you got Mehdi, Lathan, Mike Smith. I don't see any of those guys making the squad just because our front rotation there's going to be so good. Our, our first five guys can just rotate in and out all day long. And if you keep Klug in there just because he always finds a way to be involved, is there really room for anybody else to slip into that rotation? So I, I think Rapati gets cut. These other guys, they have a shot at the practice squad probably. Yeah, Rapati showed a little glimpse of hope a couple years ago when we first got him. I can't remember what stats he had exactly, but I know he, he looked decent for a minute there and then just completely fell off. He's basically a, a name on the roster right now. I don't see him making the team either. I don't have anything else to add as far as any of the other camp bodies. I think our D-line is pretty much set with, with who's going to play and, and where they're going to play. I could see maybe some addition when we subtract some of these guys, but I don't think anybody that, that we pick up is going to take over from, from what we have at starting positions. Yeah, I agree here. There's nobody that really catches my I don't think there's anybody that's going to make the 53-man roster barring injury. I think we pretty much set with the rotation. I think you're going to see those first five guys, like Glenn said, a lot. I think if they do keep Klug, you're going to see him a, a fair amount. But I don't even know if he makes the 53-man roster. I wouldn't be 100% sold on that. So, you know, I just I think that there's nobody else really that I think is going to be able to make it. That's all that we have for this show. I want to thank my co-hosts, Matt and Glenn. Uh, by this you know, we're in episode, what, eight, nine now. You guys know the drill. Find us on Facebook and Twitter. Listen to the show on Stitcher. You can also check it out at twotone.pinecast.co. Listen to all the shows. We will be back later this week. We have a uh, guest that we're going to bring on. Very excited about that. Also, of course, we'll be on next Wednesday with the linebackers. Is the next group that we're going to break down here. Yeah, stay tuned for future guests. Uh, we got a lot in the works, and uh, we're going to try to do those separately, but uh, we're going to continue with these positional breakdowns until training camp. And as many guys as we can bring on, we're going to. So stay tuned for that. If you have access to any of these players and you want them to come on the show and talk to us, we'd be happy to have you help us out with that. Yeah, somebody get a hold of Eddie George for me. Eddie George. Be sure to check us out everywhere I told you to. Do not forget about the scavenger hunt. Go win those tickets. They're awesome tickets to the opening game of the season. You can't beat that. So go check that out and check us out next week. We'll be back. Tighten up.
Thanks for listening to the Two-Tone Uncensored Podcast. You can listen to the show at twotone.pinecast.co or by downloading the Stitcher app on your mobile device. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at Two-Tone Uncensored and like it on Facebook.